Hello, friend, and welcome to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and thanks for joining me here on this episode of the show. As we begin, I want to give a special welcome and a special greeting to our friends and listeners in the Far East, various countries in the Far East, some of which are very hard to be a Christian. And if you're listening there in the Far East, then uh, just thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. Welcome. Know that I am praying for you and praying for wisdom and grace and strength to be upon you as you seek to follow and serve Jesus in your country, even if it's difficult and hard for you right where you're at. So thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. I'm glad you're here joining us on the show. As we begin this episode, I want to start with uh, really two words from Jesus about something that he thinks you and I desperately need, that's something that's desperately important for us to actually function properly as human beings and to flourish in life. The first word comes from John chapter 8, verses 31 and following. There, Jesus says this. He says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. First off, he says, if you continue in my word, that word continue really is remain, abide, dwell. That's the idea. It's like you you put down your roots, you plant yourself there, and you abide in my word. That's the idea. And he says, if you do that, then you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the implication of that is, one, that his word is truth, but two, there's a lot of falsehood and a lot of lies out there, and his word is the antidote to the falsehood of the world. All the different lies, all the different unreality things that we believe, all the things that we think about that are contrary to the way things actually are. Um, Jesus' word is the prescription and the antidote to all of that. And so, remain in my word. You are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the first word from Jesus. The other word from Jesus comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. It's a fairly well-known little picture Jesus paints as he wraps up the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, if you grew up in church, you grew up going to Sunday school, you may have even sung a little song about it. It's, It's the picture of the wise man and the foolish man, the smart man and the stupid man, right? That's the picture at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And the wise man did what? He built his house upon the rock. And the foolish man did what? He built his house upon the sand. So Jesus paints this picture of two people building a house. And as they build their house, Jesus labels one smart and one not so smart, one foolish. And uh, what's the difference between the two? What's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? Well, in the language of the illustration, the imagery, you just heard it. One built his house upon a rock. One built his house upon the sand. But what's the point? Like if you, what's the imagery pointing towards? What's it referring to? Well, here's what Jesus says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And 
the winds came down, or the winds blew, the rains came down, the streams rose, they beat against that house, and that house held fast because it was built on the rock. But the foolish man, he is like someone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, and therefore he builds his house upon the sand. So what's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man in Jesus' illustration? Well, the difference is that one hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice. One hears Jesus' words and doesn't do them. Likes them, amens, claps, great sermon. Wow, that's some great insight, but never actually puts them into practice. Both the wise man and the foolish man in Jesus' picture hear the word. They hear it taught. They listen to it, right? They listen to podcasts and they listen to YouTube sermons and they go to church and they listen to sermons there. They might even go to a Bible study where they study some scripture. They both hear the teachings of Jesus. The difference is one hears and puts them into practice and one hears and doesn't put them into practice. And so here in John 8 and in Matthew chapter 7, we have these two words from Jesus that tell us this, that if we want to be his disciple, if we want to know the truth, and if we want to be free, if we want to have the house of our life stand fast when life gets hard, then the key to that is abiding in his word, hearing it, planning our life down into it, and beginning to put it into practice. This is the word from Jesus for us, that uh, disciples of his actually plant their life deeply in the soil of his word, and as a result, they function well as human beings, and their life flourishes. Even when life gets hard, even when things come against life that makes it challenging and difficult, they are rooted in his word, and their life functions well. They function properly as human beings because they know the truth and therefore they're free. They're free to live the way they're designed to live as a human being. And even when life gets hard, they don't just collapse and crash uh, like the house that the foolish man built upon the sand. Uh, so according to these two passages, hearing and heeding God's word is the key to knowing the truth to being free, and to having a life that can stand fast even through the ups and downs and difficult circumstances that come our way as we go about our life. And we desperately need to, to hear these words from Jesus because we desperately need to put his word into practice. John Mark Comer just recently came out with a brand new book entitled Live No Lies. Live No Lies. And it's a treatment really of how to resist, as the subtitle says, the three enemies that sabotage your peace. How to resist the, the, the devil, the flesh, and the world. Uh, really ancient Christian kind of matrix for the three enemies of our soul, the devil, the flesh, and the world. It's a really insightful little book, has some, uh, some really helpful insights and practices for us to actually live fully rooted as disciples of Jesus and resist these three enemies of our soul. Here's what's funny. Um, John Mark is ministering in Portland. He has a reputation for being, you know, a thoughtful, culturally astute, insightful preacher Often, often bringing really fresh insights to both the Word of God and to how it intersects with our culture. He's writing this book, and he spent the first, I don't know, 90 or so pages uh, looking at the devil and the devil's primary tactic of uh, 
getting us to believe lies and thus then live out our life according to those lives. And on page 95, so we're 95 pages into this book, and at page 95, after all of this, now he's beginning to prescribe a solution for this first enemy, the devil, and the lies that he gets us to believe and live. And at this point on page 95, John Mark Comer says this. He says, am I saying to you, after all that I've said and all this work I've done in these first 95 pages, am I saying to you to find a quiet place and read your Bible and pray? Yes. Yes, I am saying that, and I cannot help it because... It's the word of God, the word of Jesus that will help us resist the lies of the devil and live according to his truth. And we may want some novel solution, right? We may want some, you know, more like, oh, up to date, super cool, insightful idea. But really, it's it's that simple. That's the fundamental. If we're going to live as disciples of Jesus and resist all the Uh, falsehoods that come our way. We have so many voices that come at us through social media and YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and the news. And we just have so many different people telling us what to think and how to live and what to believe and what life is really all about and how to find the good life and all that. We have so many voices coming at us that it's probably uh, as imperative as ever that we find a quiet place on a regular basis and we saturate ourselves in the in the wisdom and in the teaching of Jesus so that we we know the truth and the truth can set us free. In fact, there's a, a fascinating collection of stats from the Center for Bible Engagement. Uh, and one of the things that's fascinating is they've done all this study over the years, and what they've what they've realized is if someone reads or engages with the Bible, maybe they go to church and they hear a sermon one time a week, right? Very minimal life change. Two times a week, hardly any noticeable difference in their life. Three times a week, you start to see a uh, you know some measurable life change, at least a tiny bit. But when someone engages with the Bible four plus times per week, like honestly, humbly listens to to scripture, reads the scriptures, thinks through and discusses the scriptures with other people four plus times per week, all of a sudden exponential uh, life change begins to happen. Um, Some of the stats are things like this, like 59% less likely to view pornography. 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness, Uh, 62% less likely to uh, deal with uh, difficult with alcohol and drinking to excess, Um, 31% less likely to lash out in anger, Uh, 40% less likely to to have feelings of bitterness, Uh, 32% less likely to uh, battle with thinking destructively about themselves or others. And it just goes on and on. A whole host of stats like this. When somebody engages honestly and humbly with the Bible four plus times per week, massive life change is a result. Now, let's just be honest and fair. There's probably more to it than simply reading the Bible, right? Those who are the most likely to engage the Bible four plus times per week also tend to be those who operate out of a much more centered relationship with God and a richer biblical worldview. 
But the fact is, it all goes together. The reason they operate out of a deeper relationship with God and a richer biblical worldview is because they're reading the Bible. And they're reading the Bible because their relationship with God really matters to them. And the biblical worldview they recognize is more valuable and useful and livable than any other worldview, right? So the point is that engaging the Bible more often than not, four times out of seven, that's more often than not, right? The point of engaging the Bible more often than not is that it's good for you. It's good for us as human beings. It's good for your soul. It's good for your life. Just as Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you plant yourself here, you remain here, you saturate your heart, your soul with it, you begin to think about yourself and life and the world uh, along the lines of Jesus' teaching in Scripture, then your life holds fast, even when life gets hard. As Jesus said again in Matthew chapter 4, quoting the book of Deuteronomy, that he's memorized as he's out in the wilderness, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Like, just having food and physical sustenance is not enough for us to really genuinely have a life. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In order for us to really get a life, we need the word of God. We need the word of God in order to really genuinely have life. And so, uh, as disciples of Jesus, we need, desperately need, to root ourselves into the word of God. So, let me just offer just a few ways you can engage with the Bible. Uh, Some ways just to do that. Since I've just spent the last 13 minutes or so telling you, oh man, we really need to do this. Let me just offer a few tips for how you can do that. First one is just read the Bible with curiosity. If you're like most of us, I'm guessing you've read the Bible at times and you've been confused. Is that true? Uh, Like it felt strange to you. There's things in there. It's like, man, that just doesn't make sense. Or wow, that's kind of weird, right? Like there's just so much to get to know and learn. And so read it. And be curious about it. Ask questions. Don't just assume maybe you know it because you've heard this before or you've read it before. Uh, Reading the Bible, as I often say, is like traveling to a foreign country in a time machine. Like you're going back in time to a different time, a different place, a different culture in a different country. Uh, It's like Uh, visiting a foreign country in a time machine. So as we read it, we just have to be culturally sensitive. And instead of just saying, wow, that's just weird and dismiss it, we want to be curious. We want to try to understand their world and understand what it was like to live in their time and place. And if we did get in that time machine and we traveled to their their country, their world, man, what would we have seen? And we would want to ask questions of the people and we want to try to figure it out. And so just be curious, read the Bible with curiosity and and learn some things about their money, their clothing, their social customs and practices, their religions, and all different kinds of religious world, and their religious practices, and their food customs, and eating customs, and, you know, what was their uh, annual calendar like, and what just if you enter into a foreign country, man, it, it's just wise and thoughtful and considerate to be culturally sensitive and try to figure that out, and so listen uh, to them, and hear what they're saying, and Try to picture it, and if you're not familiar with the things in their country, just be curious enough to ask lots of questions. Who is this, and where do they live, and where is that place at, and why did they do that, and when did this happen, and just get all those kinds of questions out. Just ask them, and then 
start to try to find out answers. <clears throat> One of the ways you could do that is you could check out my listener's commentary on whatever it is that you're studying. If you're studying Ephesians or Galatians, Romans, Luke, or one of the books that I've got done on the listener's commentary, check that out. Or, you know, master your Google skills and start asking your questions of Google and see if you can't find out answers to some of your questions, uh, where there's the opportunity to learn more and more about uh, what's going on in their time and place and what it was like to live then. So read the Bible with curiosity. That's one way to engage the Bible regularly and deeply and profoundly. Uh, a, a second suggestion is uh, engage the Bible with prayerful reflection. Prayerful reflection. A Bible is meant and not just to be known, we're not supposed to gather facts and lots of information, right? Obviously, the Bible's meant to shape our lives today. So even though it's like traveling to a foreign country in a time machine, it's meant to impact the way we live in our current country, in our time and place. It's meant to shape our lives today, which means we just have to think deeply about it. We have to think deeply about life, and we have to think deeply about the text of Scripture, and we have to think deeply about how those two intersect and how what was going on in the text in their world moves into our world and what would it look like for us to actually embody those truths and those experiences with God in our time and place and in our world? What would it like to live it out today? And that just requires reflection. Uh, and so we need to reflect on how the text speaks to and intersects with our life and our world today. How do we need to adjust our values, our ambitions, our priorities, our habits? How do we need to adjust the ways we talk to and interact with and treat people, all different kinds of people? Uh, the scriptures were written in a pluralistic world, and we're living in a pluralistic world today. So what does that look like? How do we interact with these people? And what are the implications for our job or our family or our use of money or our time? Right? If we took this passage to heart, what would stay the same in our life? And what would change? Uh, reflect on that, right? Think that stuff through as you engage with the text. And then not just reflection, prayerful reflection. And, and so pray about this stuff as you begin to reflect on it and you begin to get insights maybe into how it intersects with our world, right? Like just confess your need to God and talk to him about, man, I need your help in living this out. I even need your, your insight to see how this is going to adjust my life. So Lord, would you help me to see this and see what's going on? Ask for wisdom to, to really understand how should I best put this into practice and Thank him for his grace when you read a text and all of a sudden you realize, wow, I've fallen short of that, Lord, and I need to I need to shore this area up and do better at this. So thank you for being so merciful and gracious and forgiving me for where I've fallen short of your ideals, right? So we prayerfully reflect on the text as we arrange ourselves under it and submit to the God who has spoken through the text to us and listen to his authority. So prayerful reflection. And then my third suggestion for engaging the word is memorization. Memorization. We we don't always value that because we're so used to having books and obviously the, the internet and computers. I mean, we have all this stuff that just is like external memories, right? Like they're outside of us. We can just Google it and find it. We can read it in a book and we don't always have to memorize it. And as a result, our memorization muscles are fairly weak and we're not super good at it. So we're going to have to work at that. But memorization is incredibly powerful. It takes time. 
It takes effort. But as we memorize the scriptures, memorize anything, but in this case, the scriptures, what happens is we're taking them into our body and we're being formed around them. Um, and uh, that's just powerful. In fact, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors on spiritual growth, um, uh, he was a philosophy professor at University of Southern California and a devout Christian and wrote tons of stuff on spiritual growth and spiritual formation. And uh, Dallas Willard had been a Baptist pastor before he was a philosophy professor. And he said this, he said, if he ever went back into the ministry, the first thing he would do is he would begin to get people who were willing and, and, and ready to memorize scripture. That's the first thing he would do first program he would institute would be, and he wouldn't force it on everybody. He would just do it with the people who are like, I really want to follow Jesus. Well, start memorizing scripture. And he would give them key texts and encourage them in that and find out a way to facilitate that and get people to memorize scripture because he said he's never seen anything have the power to transform people's lives like taking scripture into their mind and into their brain and into their body and forming themselves around it. Um, it's just a powerful discipline. And my encouragement would be pick out passages that have already meant a lot to you, or maybe passages that you had memorized in the past, but you've, uh, they've kind of gotten rusty and you've forgotten them. Pick those out. And, and now you have some, you have a place to start, right? Like these texts have already meant a lot to you. They've encouraged you in a lot of ways. They've helped you before. And so you're motivated by them and memorize those texts. And I always encourage longer chunks rather than smaller chunks. Take texts like Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 17, a key text about living the Christian life, or uh, John chapter 15, 1 through 11. I, I, bigger chunks where we get the whole context. And we just work with it. We meditate on it. We talk it through. We pray it through. We absorb it into ourselves so we begin to think scripture. You can take some small texts too that are super helpful to you. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Texts like this that uh, remind us of key truths that we don't need to fear because the Lord is our shepherd, right? And so um, take those texts, memorize them, and experiment with different ways that work to you. Put a little, you know, a little chant, a little rhythm to them or something. Think how many songs we have memorized we didn't even try, right? Put a little rhythm to them, a little meter to them, and see if you just can't, as you give yourself a little rhythm, it might help you memorize them. Or find different, different techniques that work for you to memorize scripture and begin to memorize some key texts of scripture, particularly maybe even some texts that address some of the lies that you're, you're prone to believe, you're tempted to believe, so that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So those are a few practices that I think, man, if we're going to really abide in the word of Jesus, would really help us do that. Uh, read with curiosity, uh, read with prayerful reflection, and memorize scriptures that can really target key needs in your life and help you walk according to and think according to the words of Jesus. All right. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Thanks to all of you who generously support this ministry, both here on the Bible and Life and the ministry of the Listener's Commentary, where I teach straight through Bible books and all that. Your generosity makes it possible. So thanks a ton for your support. God bless you guys. I hope you have a wonderful week in Jesus. I look forward to talking to you again next week.